The House and Senate are both gone for their Thanksgiving break. The House returns next Tuesday, November 28th. They'll be in session through Friday of that week. The Senate returns next Monday, November 27th, with first vote set for 5.30 p.m. They'll be in session through Thursday of next week. Last week on the House floor, the House returned to work last Monday and passed a resolution about Yemen and then passed a bill under suspension of the rules. On Tuesday, the House passed H.R. 2874, the 21st Century Flood Reform Act, by a vote of 237 to 189. Then the House took up the conference report to accompany H.R. 2810, the National Defense Authorization Act. That passed by a vote of 356 to 70. On Wednesday, the House took up and passed the rule for consideration of H.R. 1, the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. The rule passed by a straight party line vote of 235 to 191. And on Thursday, the House took up and passed H.R. 1, the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, by a vote of 227 to 205, with no Democrats voting in favor and 13 Republicans, all but 12, 12 of whom were either from California or New York or New Jersey, voting against. And then they were done. This week on the House floor, no action there in recess. Last week on the Senate floor, the Senate began its week last Monday with a vote to confirm Derek Kahn to be Undersecretary of Transportation. The vote to confirm was 90 to 7. Then the Senate invoked cloture on the nomination of Stephen Bradbury to be general counsel of the Department of Transportation. On Tuesday, the Senate voted to confirm Bradbury to his position as general counsel at DOT. The vote to confirm was 50 to 47. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of David Zatzalo to be assistant secretary of labor for mine safety and health. On Wednesday, the Senate voted to confirm Mark Esper to be secretary of the Army. The vote to confirm was 89 to 6. Then the Senate voted to confirm David Zatzalo to be Assistant Secretary of Labor for Mine Safety and Health. That vote to confirm was 52 to 46. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Joseph Otting to be Controller of the Currency. On Thursday, the Senate voted to confirm Joseph Otting to be Controller of the Currency. The vote to confirm was 54 to 43. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Donald C. Coggins Jr. to be a U.S. District Judge for the District of South Carolina. That was followed by a vote to invoke cloture on the nomination of Dabney Langhorn Friedrich to be a U.S. District Judge for the, US, for the District of Columbia. Then the Senate voted to confirm Donald Coggins, Jr. to be a U.S. District Judge for the District of South Carolina. The vote to confirm was 96 to 0. Somewhere in there Thursday, the Senate adopted by voice vote the conference report to accompany H.R. 2810, the National Defense Authorization Act. Since that conference report passed the House earlier in the week, it's now gone to the President for his signature. Also, by unanimous consent, the Senate confirmed eight nominees to the Pentagon, four nominees to the State Department, and three nominees to the Federal Labor Relations Authority. And then the Senate was done. So, when the Senate returns on November 27th, they'll take up the confirmation vote on Dabney Laghorn Friedrich to be U.S. District Judge for the District of Columbia, and then they'll move to invoke cloture on the nomination of Greg Katzis to be a U.S. Circuit Court Judge for the District of Columbia Circuit. On the AT&T Time Warner merger, last Thursday, the New York Times previewed what it calls potentially the antitrust case of the decade, a government attempt to block the merger of AT&T and Time Warner. Wrote the newspaper, quote, a lawsuit by the Justice Department, along with its earlier widely reported demands that AT&T sell either DirecTV or Turner Broadcasting to gain approval for the deal, would mark a radical departure from decades of antitrust enforcement policy both in defining what is an unlawful anti-competitive merger and in fashioning a remedy to cure the problems. 
That's because the combination of AT&T and Time Warner is what's known as a vertical merger, meaning that the two companies don't compete to any significant degree in their primary lines of business, which are telecommunications for AT&T and entertainment for Time Warner. There would be the same number of competitors in both fields after the merger as there were before it, end quote. On the judiciary front, last Thursday, Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Charles Grassley announced that he is overlooking the blue slip tradition and moving to confirm a nominee for a seat on a U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals whose home state senator hasn't returned a blue slip. In this case, the senator in question is Al Franken of Minnesota, and the nominee in question is David Strauss, who's been nominated to a seat on the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals. Franken opposes Strauss on ideological grounds. He considers Strauss too conservative for the court. The hearing will be held on November 29th, the Wednesday after the Senate returns from its Thanksgiving break. On the Obamacare front, as we had hoped, the Senate Finance Committee has added a provision zeroing out the tax penalties for Obamacare's individual mandate to the draft tax reform legislation. Under the rules of the Senate, Chairman Hatch cannot simply repeal the entire provision. So he effectively repeals the individual mandate by making the tax penalty for not purchasing an approved Obamacare plan zero. This has at least one Republican senator concerned, Senator Susan Collins, who was one of the three Republican no votes on Obamacare repeal last summer. She's now telling people she wants to see the Alexander Murray insurance company bailout passed before the tax bill, but isn't committing to vote for tax reform if Alexander Murray is passed. So we'll see if she gets what she wants. On the personnel front, last Monday, President Trump announced his intent to nominate Alex Azar to serve as the replacement for former Health and Human Services Secretary Tom Price. Azar spent 10 years at Eli Lilly and Company, including five years as president of Lilly USA. He's a former general counsel at Health and Human Services, and he has two years service as HHS's number two official. He opposes Obamacare and thinks Medicaid should be block granted to the states. And he's close to Vice President Pence and others from Indiana who are serving in the administration, including Seema Verma, the administrator of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. On the Russia probe, last Monday, Donald Trump Jr. confirmed that during the summer of 2016, at the height of the presidential campaign, he occasionally exchanged private messages with WikiLeaks via Twitter. The following day, Tuesday, Attorney General Jeff Sessions testified before the House Judiciary Committee and defended his previous responses to questions from Congress on his interactions with Russian officials, saying, and I quote, in all of my testimony, I can only do my best to answer all of your questions as I understand them and to the best of my memory, but I will not accept and reject accusations that I have ever lied under oath. That is a lie, end quote. On the spending front, House Speaker Ryan bowed to reality last week and acknowledged that the House and Senate will not be able to pass a nine-month omnibus spending bill in early December. So the House and Senate will instead move a short-term extension to get them through to the end of December, as we predicted last week. What's really going on here is simple. Both House and Senate Republican leaders know that they're planning to serve up a crap sandwich of a spending bill in December, and they don't want anyone to know just how bad it's going to be until after both houses have passed tax reform and it's gone to the president's desk. They're worried that conservatives in either or both caucuses could threaten to torpedo tax reform unless they get satisfaction on the spending bill. And their solution is simply not to reveal what's likely to be included in the spending bill before they're done with tax reform. Here's what you need to know about that upcoming omnibus spending package. First, 
Despite current denials, including a denial by Speaker Ryan as recently as last Tuesday's televised town hall meeting on Fox News, it's very likely going to contain a DACA fix. Why? Because Democrats are going to threaten to vote down the omnibus, leading to a shutdown if they don't get their DACA fix in the bill. And congressional Republican leaders, being congressional Republican leaders, that is, spineless, will likely cave. Second, the bill is very likely going to include a two-year increase to the spending caps contained in the 2011 Budget Control Act, just as we've had twice in the last four years. Those spending caps won't just include increases on the defense side of the budget. They'll also include increases on the domestic discretionary side of the budget because, again, Democrats will demand it and congressional Republican leaders will likely cave. Third, I wouldn't be at all surprised if we saw a version of the Alexander Murray legislation that bails out the health insurance companies with two years worth of cost sharing reduction payments. So, as I said, it's going to be a crap sandwich and it's no wonder that they want to delay these negotiations until after they've passed tax reform through both houses and gotten it to the president's desk. On the tax reform front, tax reform moved ahead this week with a successful vote on H.R. 1, the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, in the House of Representatives on Thursday. Also on Thursday, the conclusion of a four-day markup session in the Senate Finance Committee that saw Chairman Orrin Hatch's chairman's mark approved on a party-line 16 to 14 vote. Along the way, Chairman Hatch decided to add a provision zeroing out the penalties for Obamacare's individual mandate, effectively repealing that provision of the law. The Congressional Budget Office projects that will save the federal government $338 billion over the next decade, and those projected savings can be used to offset tax cuts elsewhere. In addition, Hatch's draft raises the child tax credit from its original $1,650 to $2,000 per child, so Senators Marco Rubio and Mike Lee are now happy. On Wednesday of last week, Republican, Wisconsin Republican Senator Ron Johnson said that he would not vote yes on the current draft of the Senate legislation. He's not satisfied with the draft's treatment of pass-through businesses. That's interesting because the National Federation of Independent Business, which opposed the first version of the House bill for the same reason, was eventually able to work out new language to their liking, and they have endorsed both the bill that passed the House and the current version of the Senate draft. Majority Leader McConnell has announced his intent to bring the legislation to the floor when the Senate returns from its Thanksgiving break next week. Finally, on the Uranium One front, last Monday, the Department of Justice sent a letter to the House Judiciary Committee acknowledging that the Department of Justice is considering naming a special counsel to lead an investigation into former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton's actions on a number of fronts, including the Uranium One scandal. According to The Hill, DOJ is also looking at Clinton Foundation donations, the unmasking of the identities of American citizens by the intelligence community, and former FBI Director James Comey's handling of the investigation into Clinton's private email server. But on Tuesday, under questioning at a hearing at the House Judiciary Committee, Sessions pushed back on the immediate need for the appointment of a special counsel to investigate Clinton. Congressman Jim Jordan pressed Sessions hard on the issue, but Sessions held firm. He then acknowledged that he had directed prosecutors to determine whether appointing a special counsel was necessary. So we know it's now under consideration at the Department of Justice. That's our Washington Report for this week.